live from Walpole in Framingham, Massachusetts. This is 1833 Sports. Today we are joined by Max Tissenbaum. He is a former Stony Brook baseball player and a former minor league baseball player with the San Diego Padres organization, the Tampa Bay Rays organization, and the Miami Marlins organization. So Max, what's going on? How are you? I'm good. Glad to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. So um, I personally know you, obviously you're part of my family. Um, so I'm going to kick it off and say that uh, it's definitely been cool having you to mentor me throughout my baseball endeavors for about the last like six years, it feels like. Um, since I was just in middle school starting out until now here, my going into my junior year of college ball. So that's pretty cool. So today we're just going to kind of ask you questions, I guess, through the course of your career. Um, and I'll kick it off. And then I know Ray's done some prep, so he'll ask you some uh, questions that he has. So I'm going to start it off and say, um, so tell us about, I guess, your background pre-college in terms of baseball. Yeah, so I'm, I'm from Toronto. I'm Canadian. Um, so it's a little bit different up there than it is down here. Um, less focused on like your high school baseball and more focused on the travel stuff. Um, I played on a team that really didn't do much traveling into the U.S. We mostly played in, in Ontario where I'm from. Um, so I wasn't doing, you know, the crazy showcase circuit like a lot of kids are doing, which I think kind of worked well for me because I'm not necessarily one of those guys that like jumps off the page at you in a one day workout. Um, not the fastest, not the biggest kid, not the most power, especially not in high school. Um, so I was kind of a guy that you had to see play a lot in order to kind of, you know, like my game. So I think being in that league where we were just kind of at home and college coaches, pro coaches that were pro scouts that were around were just kind of popping in and seeing us play throughout the year. That kind of worked to my advantage. Um, got called up to play on the junior national team, Team Canada, um, as a 16 and 17 year old, which was awesome. Uh, played with uh, Brett Laurie was the big name as a 16 year old. He was an 18 year old. Um, that was the year that he was picked in the first round. Uh, a few other guys that got drafted out of high school, but mostly most of the Canadian guys when I was in high school were still going, you know, either JUCO or college and sort of some way or another. Um, and yeah, that, that Team Canada trip kind of uh, opened things up for me. Then it was, you know, my name was on the pro radar a little bit more. Uh, a lot more schools started to reach out. And that was kind of like the turning point for me it was just, you know, a guy got injured. They needed an infielder for a, a trip to the Dominican. I was the guy they called and that kind of uh, started the snowball. Do you think being from Canada, as in like, because the Canadian national team, I think because the crop's probably smaller than the pond for the, na the United States national team. Do you think that helped you get noticed more? Oh, absolutely. Um, a lot of the, I, I think the easiest way to think about it is like in terms of pitching. Um, like I remember there were guys that were team Canada pitchers. Um, and you know, like the, the word in those leagues was like, Oh man, those are the, those are the top guys in the country. Those guys are the studs. Like you don't want to face them on a given weekend. Um, and they're like, you know, 86 to 88 with a good breaking ball, good feel for a changeup, really good pitchers, but just not the the same level of tools as you'd see in, you know, Florida, Arizona, California, all those like places where they're playing all year round. Um, and so you see those guys get drafted more as projects than, you know, those first round arms that you see um, that are 93 to 95 with a power breaking ball and like trying to learn how to pitch more than, you know, learn how to, 
build up their their velocity and stuff like that. So I think that's the easiest way to see it. But then it it really does go with every single position because we're outside playing games probably May through mid September. Uh, if you have a good year, you'll get into October. But October baseball is usually, you know, like a couple of teams that are just kind of playing games to extend their year. So it's uh, it's definitely a smaller crop, which allows you know guys to to get opportunities that they probably wouldn't down here. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, so now we'll fast forward to uh, this was you were drafted in the forty third round of the high school by the Toronto Blue Jays, and you were that was because of club ball with the Toronto Mets or is that okay so take us to when you received I don't know how they did it, if it was a phone call an email um and how um I know we've talked about this you and I before about how you felt that you weren't ready yet physically and just in terms of just like overall like not ready to go but tell us like uh, through that or explain uh the thought process behind that decision because for us like that'd be if you know Ray or I was drafted by the Red Sox out of high school and that's kind of a big deal so um tell us about that a little bit yeah and and it was a huge deal for me too um I had gotten after the Team Canada stuff and you know a couple other workouts that I had gotten invited to through um that sort of part of my high school career um I was at the point where I was filling out probably you know, five, 10, maybe 15 teams had sent me like the scouting information cards. You fill out where you live, your height and weight, what kind of money you're looking for, if you're going to sign, have you already committed to a school? And I had already committed to Stony Brook. That was at the very beginning of my senior year of high school. Um, So as I was going through, I had a really good, really good senior year. Um, I knew that there was some noise around my name. I didn't really think that I was likely to be a, a top pick. I was really hoping to somehow pop on the second day. I don't think I was quite aware of like really where I was in the grand scheme of things. Um, so it was funny. Like I, I watched the first round of the draft um, like everybody does as a fan. Then like the whole second day while I was in school, I was sitting there like checking my phone, checking my computer, just like, come on, somebody pick me. Um, really wanted to have this like big draft moment. Didn't happen. I was like, I was upset, but like, again, I knew I was going to college. Um, and then day three rolls around and I had met my dad. My dad picked me up from school to go out and grab lunch. Cause you know, obviously this was all kind of weighing on me. And as he's driving me back to school, my phone rings, it's a random four, one, six Toronto number. And I'm like, I wonder who's calling me at like one o'clock on a Wednesday. And uh, it was Kevin Briand, who was the, the head of the blue Jays draft room at that point. And he said, you know, it wasn't the first round, but it wasn't the last round. We picked you in the 43rd. Um, and I was like sitting there covering the microphone on my phone because I don't think I had a mute button at that point. Um, and I'm like, Dad, Dad, it's the Blue Jays. I got picked by the Blue Jays. Um, so again, it was like, it was crazy exciting. Like you said, you know, you're, it's your hometown team. It's, you know, the dream of every kid. Like I grew up going to Blue Jays games with my grandfather. And it's like, wow, now I have this opportunity that, you know, if I sign, I'm going to be playing on that field that I grew up watching games at. Um, but I kind of knew again from the, the late round that it was probably more of a, you know, if you want to sign, you can, but we're not really investing much in you. They even said to me on the call, like, we think it's probably better for you baseball wise, growth development wise to go to school. So it wasn't really a super difficult decision. I wasn't turning down, you know, a pile of money or anything like that. And I knew that I was going to a, an awesome opportunity at Stony Brook with 
you know, that coaching staff and sort of the way that the program was trending, I just had a good feeling that that was going to be a good decision one way or another. Gotcha. So at any point, at least pre, like in that time over the summer when you were, this is after you got, had gotten picked and it's kind of just hanging there. I don't know if you gave how quick you responded back to the Blue Jays, but was there ever a point that after you responded pre Stony Brook, like in that kind of that gray area time you weren't playing college ball yet? Did you ever have any regrets about not signing? No, not really. Um, There were times when I thought I might fall behind guys that signed in high school. Like, oh, if I'm going to college and they're spending those three years in the system, they'll be way ahead of me. Um, And again, looking back on it, that's more just not really understanding how the whole thing works. Um, But, you know, as an 18-year-old kid, you're naturally going to have those kind of thoughts. But it wasn't so much like, man, I really wish I would have signed because like, again, I knew I was, if I was going to sign for anything, it'd be, you know, here's your flight down to Florida and right. good luck with your career. So it was, it, it also came down to like education was important to, to me. Education was important to my family. So to just kind of flip the script on that and like, okay, now I'm going to go and play as a high schooler. Um, I don't, I don't think that was ever like all that serious on my mind. And then again, looking back on it, like if I had gone from playing, you know, my three or four games a week in high school signed and then gone into pro ball right away. I know, I know now I would have washed out so fast because it's so much more serious. It's so much more volume. It's so much more repetitious that to go from Canadian high school baseball to pro ball would have just totally melted my brain and you know, it would have been one of those just like, okay, get me out of here. Gotcha. All right. So now I'm going to toss over to Ray. So now we're kind of through the point where you decided you're going to college, you get to college, and we're just going to jump right to, I guess, the really big season you got to have um, with the Stony Brook Shock the World team. And that was definitely all over the news, be, just be in, t- in terms of the baseball world, beyond the baseball world too. Um, so kind of take us through from the beginning of that season in the fall and kind of how um, – how that kind of went. And Ray, do you have any questions about that? Like thus far? So was Stony Brook the only school that recruited you? So- no, I had, I had a whole binder full of different schools. Um, again, I was mostly getting some of the smaller Northeastern schools at the start. Um, Buffalo, Canisius, Niagara, those kind of schools. And then when I got added to team Canada, had a couple good trips with them. I got invited to the East coast pro workout in Dayton. And when I got home from that, like probably a week later, I had letters from schools like UCLA, Coastal Carolina, like a lot bigger profile baseball teams. Um, now, again, I wasn't in like, like really deep talks with those schools. But again, it was like they were putting out their feelers, see what my interest was and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think when it came down to it, there were probably – 15 schools that I talked to at least like reasonably serious. Mm -hmm. There were probably another 15 that were um, cool to get a letter, cool to keep it. Um, But then when I really kind of looked at it, it was like, do I want to go to UCLA where I'm going to be the only Canadian guy, the 12th shortstop in the incoming freshman class. And I probably won't play until my junior year at best. Um, So yeah, it was, there was a whole, a whole bunch of schools that were the like guy had visits lined up. I think it was Stony Brook. Then I had Cincinnati, Ohio state. And 
I'm going to say, I think I had one at Memphis too. Um, that were all like back to back to back. And when I went on my recruiting trip at Stony Brook, I just, I fell in love with the place. Um, the coaches were awesome. Uh, I knew that they had a Canadian middle infielder there who was a couple years older than me. So I knew that kind of right away, I'd have like a natural mentor, somebody that I could kind of relate to. Um, Cause I, I had heard from guys coming out of Canada before that it can be an extra pressure and extra stress to be the only Canadian guy. Um, just cause again, then people are likely to go, Oh, you're the team Canada guy, or, Oh, you're the Canadian or the token Canadian guy. Um, and it just kind of, felt comfortable to know that there was somebody who had already been there through that and would be there when I got there. So I actually, I, I committed right on the spot on my visit here. Um, and like the following week, I just called all the other coaches back and said, you know what, I'm, I'm done. I'm good. Um, thank you for your interest, but I'm going to study work. I didn't realize it until now you played uh, with Willie Carmona, right? Yes, I did. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I know him for the Cape Cod league. Okay, yeah, I I played up there in woo, the end of the 2010 season, and then the year that Willie was there, I was in Orleans. Nice, nice. Yeah. So, back to back to college now. So, this is something that like I find is always interesting, especially when uh, it's even the professional guys too when they talk about uh, like the chemistry and, and when they get to spring training, um, especially like those world series teams. Um, I want to jump to is, I mean, this is completely biased, but the 2013 Red Sox, like they were a team that um, they got to spring training and they knew that they just had this oddly really great chemistry. So walk us through kind of the progression of the 2012, was it 20, yeah, 2012 yeah, uh, Stony Brook baseball team. From the time yeah, you so got there in the fall. And- I, would, I, would even, I would even walk it back to 2011. Um, 2011, I think a lot of us thought was even a better team um, with our pitching staff anchored by Nick Tropiano, who was a fifth-round pick of the Astros. Um, he's pitched in the big leagues for the last, you know, parts of five seasons, four or five seasons. Um, so that year we were – we racked up a crazy record. Um, number one in our conference host the conference tournament we had been receiving votes in the top 25 never actually cracked it but we were getting you know a little asterisk at the bottom others receiving votes so we were kind of thinking you know that year we're going to roll through the conference tournament we're going to go to a regional and we'll finally get our first regional win and that's going to be awesome and we went out in our conference tournament and we just totally totally blew up like we made more errors in the conference tournament than we had made the entire conference season. Every time we had a runner in scoring position, we either got picked off, struck out or left them on base. Like we just found ways to lose. And I think that that, that like immediacy of like, you're on that wave where you're like, Oh, you know, we're going to figure it out. We'll get through it. We're going to get through this game. Oh my God, the season's over. Um, that like stark realization that like we blew this, this was ours to lose and we blew it Um, really pissed a lot of guys off to be completely honest. Like we were, we were really upset as a group. Um, Our coaching staff had done an awesome job that year in placing us. So we had seven guys actually go up to the Cape, two of us with Orleans. We had guys in Wareham. We had two guys in Bourne. Like we were all over. 
Um, and I think that that summer actually kind of allowed all of us in a way to kind of heal from that and grow in terms of that seven guys, which is, you know, a pretty decent core of your team to realize, you know, we went out and we played summer ball with the SEC, the ACC, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and we held our own. Like the MVP of the league that year was a Stony Brook guy. It was our center fielder, Travis, who was a first round pick. Our catcher was in the all-star game. One of our outfielders was in the home run derby, Tanner Nivens. Um, Tyler Johnson, who came back to be our ace in 12, was in the all-star game and, you know, pitched a clean inning. And so I think when we came back that year, all of us had a renewed confidence that, like, we really are that good. It wasn't a fluke that we won all those games in the regular season. Um, and then you talk about getting back to campus. Um, we all had an idea that Travis was going to be a high round pick, you know, long, lean, speed demon of a center fielder who would just won the MVP of the Cape. We're like, okay, he's going to be a top five round pick. We got back to school and it was an absolute circus. Um, like how you talk about um, the team that wins the World Series when they show up to spring training the next year, there's just five times as much media. Right. That was how it was with us with scouts. Every year on scout day, we'd probably have, you know, 15 guys that were all local scouts. Um, on a regular, like, Tuesday afternoon practice, we had 30 teams plus cross-checkers, and the odd GM would pop in because they knew that we had a first-round guy roughly, and then we had all these other, you know, six, seven, eight guys that were juniors and seniors who were all sort of in that category to get picked. So like right from the beginning of the year, it was like every single day um, you were saying hi, shaking hands with the same group of scouts every single day. Like we were on first name basis with these guys. Um, the coaches would send us out like a little group text. Okay, I need the three of you guys to meet with the Chicago Cubs scout in study hall at four o'clock. And we'd go in and we'd have these like little, you know, four on one or three on one meetings with each of the teams they'd talk about what they liked about our game, where they saw us profiling in their organization and stuff like that. So again, having never been around that level of just scouting and access to, you know, the, the professional game, it was kind of eye opening to see how it all just like all of a sudden was there. Um, and so we kind of went through scout day. I was actually sick. I had pneumonia. So I ran my 60, tried to take BP and ended up throwing my bat over the dugout. Like I just, I had no strength. I just tossed my bat, went over the trainer and I can't stand up. So I actually left scout day, which I thought at the time was like, okay, that's the end of your career. Like everybody thinks you're a loser. You left on scout day and whatever. Um, you had COVID. Then we came back in the, in the winter after break. It was the same thing. Like every day that we did live BPs inside, um, we were hitting in the back of the basketball gym. So there really wasn't a ton of space, but you'd have like the coaches clearing us out from where we normally stood to like take our on deck timing reads and whatever. Okay. We got to get all the scouts in there. So like they'd be clearing us out of the way to make room for these you know, guys to come in and, you know, take their video, take their notes and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then every single weekend when we were playing was the same thing. It was, you know, every team was there. Most times they had a cross checker with them as well. And, you know, like when we got into conference play, like it was to the point that they had seen us for 25, 30 games already. Um, 
you had interacted with their south like their southern scouts when we were on our first trip of the year then like their mid-atlantic guy when we were sort of in between and now you're back to your guy that you'd seen all year um so yeah it was it was really a lot to kind of take in like that started out the year and, and this is funny because i did a i did a podcast with uh one of the guys that i coached with at stony brook in 18 and he asked me like how did that season go and in my head i thought we just went out and beat the brakes off of everybody but when i look back on it our first three weekends we were dead even 500 hmm. so we swept our first weekend and then got swept by east carolina the second week um and then split the third and like, I totally don't remember that because all that you remember is like, as soon as we got back into the Northeast, it was just like three out of four, three out of four, three out of four, sweep, sweep, three out of four. Um, and then we got back to the conference tournament and it was a totally, totally different atmosphere. Like we were just, there's no way we're not going to get it done. There's no way we're not going to get the runner over, get the runner in, make the play. And like, I don't even think any of the games are close. Like the championship game was probably a seven or eight run differential. Um, and we were excited, but it was like almost one of those ones where like we, we made the final out. The final out was a ground ball, either a four, six or a six, four, like a force play at second. And we just kind of like fist pump. Okay, we did it. Let's go. Where are we going for a regional? And again, like at that point, we had gotten top 25 votes. I think we had been in at one point and then back out. So we're, we're sitting there, you know, watching the selection show going, we're going to be a three seed somewhere because somebody's going to respect our last two seasons. Right. And then, you know, they come the number seven national seed. Miami is hosting uh, their number one. Central Florida's number two. Missouri State's number three. And number four is Stony Brook out of the America East. And we all just kind of looked at each other like, really? Right. We've been in the top 25 all year since the, like after the third week. And you're going to stick us as a four seed at a national seed in Miami. And like almost immediately, it was just like back to that anger. Like how, how do you guys not see it with us? Like we're so much better than this. We're not only going to go down there and beat Miami the first night. We're going to win the whole damn thing. Forgive me. Why is that bad? The earth? Your four seed in that bracket just I don't, I don't understand all that so the way that the way that they do the bracket um the number one like the first eight national seeds mm -hmm. will have the weakest two seed three seed and four seed so that they're more likely to move through so like it's basically okay. one has 64 and so on so like we're going you know they think we're the seventh worst team to make it into this tournament okay Thank you. At least give us a four seed at the number 16. We're at least like they're the lowest possible one seed and we're the highest possible four. And like, okay, we're a four seed at Miami. Like that, that makes no sense. Like we're going there. They're thinking we're a sacrificial lamb. And almost right away, I don't remember whether it was a text or whether it was somebody said it in the study hall that day, but it was like, all right, we're going down there. Operation Takeover Miami. And like everybody started like hashtag OTM and whatever. And it was like, okay, we're going down there to beat Miami on Friday night and make everybody kind of understand that we're not, we're not just here to, to roll over. And we get down to Miami and like right away, we're up two or three, nothing early. And we beat them up pretty badly from what I remember. And 
I actually I had a good game that night. I had like two or three hits, a couple RBIs, and it was actually me and Willie that went into the media availability that night with our coaches. And you know, somebody said to us like, "What does this say to you guys about you know your program? And does this surprise you guys?" And we went like, "No, there's never been a single game this year." that we walked onto the field and said, we shouldn't absolutely beat these guys up. Like even East Carolina, when we played them, we went down there expecting to beat them. And we were shocked that they held us to one run in each of the three games. Um, and that wasn't like a cocky thing. That wasn't an arrogant thing. That was just like our mindset was if we play really good defense, like we do, I think we were in the top three or five in defensive, um, like defensive uh, fielding percentage. We know our pitchers are going are gonna to get us a ton of ground balls. We know we're not going to give up a lot of runs. And we can hit. So, like, we went into it. Like, we should win most nights. Um, and then kind of rolling through that regional. Um, lose to Central Florida. We beat Missouri State. Beat Central Florida. And now we have this, like, winner-take-all game on Monday night. And it's, like, one of the only – I think they. I think it was actually, like, a seventh game of the regional. Uh, and we go out there and we somehow, like, having played three games in the last 24 hours, we beat them again. And, like, when, when that game ended, it was like, oh, my God, we just won a regional. And we went absolutely crazy. Like, that was one of the wildest dog piles I think I've ever been a part of. Um, and, you know, like, you're kind of, like, shaking everybody's hand, hugs, and people are crying, and, like, coaches just going bananas. And, like, you're sitting there thinking, like, yeah, Stony Brook, we just, we did it. Like, and that was sort of where the, the whole shock the world thing came from. Um, and it just, again, like it snowballed. So we finished that regional and like probably 45 minutes after the game, we're standing in the parking lot waiting for Coach Senk to finish his interviews because this is like this huge thing and he's up there for an hour, which he's never been before. And we're standing in the parking lot and Travis gets a phone call from the Padres. Hey, we just picked you in the supplemental first round. So our whole team, all of our parents, the girlfriends that had traveled, you know, brothers and sisters, all that kind of stuff. We're all there to celebrate with him for this, you know, humongous occasion right after we just won our first school, like our school's first ever regional. Um, we wake up the next morning, we're flying directly to New Orleans to go to Baton Rouge. We're not even going back to school, which is something we've never done before. Um, and as we're loading up the bus from the hotel to the airport, Pat Cantwell gets his call third round Texas Rangers. And we're like, Oh my God, we're all together for this one too. This is awesome. Um, and then we get to the airport in Miami, check in, we're waiting to go. And it's like, we're all just sitting there waiting for the rest of us to get picked. All right. We board our plane and we're like waiting, like, don't push back yet. Like, let's get one more guy picked before the plane takes off and we all have to take off our turn off our phones and nobody got picked and we're like oh no this is bad and I was I was panicking because I had kind of put it in my head at this point that I'm gonna get picked and I'm gonna leave so like I hadn't done my housing stuff for senior year I hadn't done my meal plan stuff for senior year like if I don't get picked I'm in trouble um and we get to we get to New Orleans we turn on our phones and we're like all right, we missed the sixth through the ninth round on the, on the flight. And we're like, okay, what do we got? What do we got? We got nothing. And I'm like, check, I'm like turning my phone on and off, like hoping that I'm missing something. Like my phone just didn't pick up. 
And then like, as we're at baggage claim, the Padres called, it was Jim Bretz who had been the, the scout up in New York uh, that had been there the whole year. And he said, you know, we picked you in the 11th round. We've, you know, we know what your, what your money was and we've got that for you. So as soon as your season's over, welcome to the organization. And I'm like, all right, San Diego Padres. And like, everybody gets to celebrate with me. And then, you know, five picks later, I think it was Willie gets picked by the Phillies and everybody's there for that. So it was kind of cool how that kind of tied in as well with the season um, that we had that, you know, team accomplishment. And then we all got the individual stuff as well. And then uh, get to LSU. And that was the most exciting place I've ever played baseball at any level. Um, I, I said to people when I was in the minor leagues, no matter what level of the minors I play at, no matter if I make it to the big leagues or not, until I play in a World Series, like an actual Major League World Series, nothing will ever top playing at Alex Box in the postseason. That's like what I've was, heard. It was absolutely wild. And again, like 12,000 people every single game. Um, the crowd usually coordinates their colors with whatever uniform the team is wearing. So you've got like a whole purple out going on. And again, like we're, our, their pitching staff was the SEC Rookie of the Year. SEC pitcher of the year and the fourth overall pick in the draft, Kevin Gosman. And we're like, well, let's go and do it to these guys too. Um, and I, I just remember that whole series. We were like, we were ahead the whole time. And that first game was maybe the craziest game. I think maybe like could have been the craziest game in baseball history with the like home run after home run. We took a lead. They hit a home run. We took a lead. They took, they hit a home run. It happened like four innings in a row with the rain delay that took us, you know, into the following day, lose game one. And, you know, everybody's kind of like writing us off at that point. Like, oh, Stony Brook's run is over. They're not going to beat Gosman in game two. And we just kind of walked across and we were like, okay, it's game two of a doubleheader. Let's go. And it was our seven hole hitter, Kevin Courtney, who was our first baseman, hits this like majestic towering home run off of Gosman. And we're like, yeah, we got a lead off of this guy. Like, let's do it beat him there and then we go to game three and it was mostly a blur to me um but I do remember like at times when you hear like the crowd on the third base side go and the other side tigers back and forth you can almost like feel the sound like just wobbling you as they like mount the rally or whatever um and you know we get to the end of that game and I just completely blacked out like it was so much, so much excitement, so much stress, so much like looking forward to like, let's get the next out. Let's get the next run. Let's get the next. Let's look that when it ended, I was just like, Oh my God, it's over. We did it. And uh, I got a lot of, a lot of grief from a lot of friends about like totally butchering the dog pile. Cause like, if you watch the ESPN clip, it's all over YouTube. I literally just like stagger into the back of the dog pile and just like fall over while everybody else is like diving on top and throwing their glove and throwing their hat. I literally just like, I looked like I was like passing out. Like I literally just walked over and just like collapsed. And it was just, it was such a cool moment um, to, to beat them, to do it in front of their fans, to do it in like a historic ballpark, like Alex boxes for college baseball. Um, that was just an absolutely incredible way to 
kind of cap that year off. And then we got to Omaha. I think we had kind of, in a way, just kind of shot our, you know, shot our, our game a little bit. Like we had, we had put so much into those first two weekends that it was like, man, what do we have left? And then you go from like this super hostile crowd that you could feed off of. Omaha is almost like a golf golf crowd where it's like really quiet. Everybody's just there to watch a great baseball game and like, oh, good play and let's all clap yeah. versus like that, you know, big time home home side crowd. Um, so, yeah, we, we were in and out of there in a, in a big hurry, which sucked. But, you know, nothing wrong with finishing seventh overall in the country when, you know, sure. you were picked to be the, the four seed at the seven national. So. Nice. So now this is over. You had a whole bunch of excitement in a matter of a week. It's probably one of the best weeks of your baseball career and even of your life um, yeah. to go down and, and play those games and obviously get picked by the Padres. So now season's over and it's time to pack up and get ready to head, head West. So walk us through, uh, well, actually we're running a little low on time. So we'll, I'll send you another link and we'll just hop okay. on there, but we'll just, you can just spitball all that for whoever we got like seven minutes left. And then, so anyways, yeah. So take us to uh, getting ready to head down to spring training and the excitement levels and kind of how spring training was uh, in the beginning for you. Yeah. So I, again, the draft is in June. So I missed spring training that first year. You always do. Um, So it was probably the middle of June when I got picked or beginning of June when I got picked, I got home for like three days and then um, flew from Toronto to, to Phoenix to where the spring training complex was. They were in uh, Peoria. So I got down there. Um, I knew I was going to have to wait on a work visa because I'm Canadian. So I've got to wait on all the, the government stuff. So basically I joined the rookie ball team, the AZL Padres. And I was told that I was allowed to practice. I had to dress out for all the games. I had to travel with them but I wasn't allowed to play. And so I went from like this, you know, this, like you said, euphoric high of like, we won a regional, we got drafted, we won the super regional, we're at the college world series, we're the king of the world. Like you go from that to the lowest spot on the the totem pole of American professional baseball. Um, No fans, you're not playing, you know, like there's no admission. It's literally just, they have the stadiums open. And if somebody walks in, um, at seven o'clock, they can watch the game. Um, and it was tough to kind of adjust to that. Cause again, it's, you know, whole new coaching staff that you're learning whole new everything really like it's almost a totally different game. Um, pro ball is much more focused on developing an individual rather than that sort of team unit. Um, so, you know, it was three weeks or two, three weeks of just, taking batting practice, taking ground balls, practice, 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 head out to the game, coach first base for four innings. Um, I ended up sitting in the dugout with some of the pitchers at some points and like doing like a little fake broadcast, just sitting there like, oh, this inning's brought to you by, and like we'd make our way from like the left field pole to the right field pole, the ads on the on the outfield fence. Um, and then again, like that's just a way to pass the time because those games are crazy long because you've got you know, a lot of walks, a lot of errors. So it's a very sloppy game compared to um, like the top level of college baseball that I had just come from. So it was, 
it was kind of tough just because again, like I'm sitting there with no idea when anything's going to happen and just kind of waiting, but it was cool to get to put on the professional uniform for the first time. Like you're, you're wearing majestic pants, the big league pants, you're wearing their spring training uniform. You've got your name on your Jersey. That was the first time I think I'd had that. Um, so you have that kind of, or I had that kind of realization, you know, the first few days, like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm a professional athlete right now. Um, so it's cool in that way, but it's also like, again, as a, as a player, all you want to do is play. Um, so it was tough to just be sitting there and you know, waiting, not knowing anything. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the, the first intro to it was just kind of sitting there and watching those games and hoping for something to change. Gotcha. All right. So we just talked about kind of like the first part in Arizona league um, and in spring training. So let's pick up um, now let's fast forward to when you're actually starting to play, you know, papers have been taken care of and you're totally all set. You're ready to roll. So take us through the first couple of uh, games, maybe the first couple of weeks of games and how you're feeling at this point and how everything's going. Yeah. So it was actually funny. I was, uh, it was, there was some, like one day I was just like, I totally didn't feel like, like I, I'm not going to get it today. Like I'll show up, you know, a little bit later than normal just cause you know, it's been three weeks and whatever. Um, I ate Chick-fil-A for lunch, which I normally tried to avoid before all these like 115 degree practices for four hours. And I walk in, I look at the schedule just to see which BP group I'm in. Uh, hang on. It says I'm muted. Oh, we can still hear you. You're good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I come in, I check on, on the BP groups and whatever. And the, the schedule actually has the lineup there. So it's got your lineup, BP groups. Here's the practice schedule. I'm looking and it says, you know, like batting third, kissing bomb, second base. And I'm like, you can't be playing. Like, that's got to be wrong. And I you know, go back to my locker and I start getting dressed. And then all of a sudden the manager calls me and he goes, we got your visa. Here's all your paperwork. You're hitting third. You're going to have two at bats tonight for us. And then you're flying out to Eugene tomorrow. And I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> I haven't seen a live. I've had like two live at BPs, but I haven't been in a game in like almost a month at this point. So we actually played at the Cubs that night. So we were in Mesa. Um, I went over two with two broken bat ground outs to the pitcher which I thought was a really awful start in my professional career. I was pretty, uh, pretty upset with that. It was cool though. Cause there was a, a triple a like 40 man guy that was rehabbing with us that night, Jeff Decker. Um, so once I had my two at bats, I kind of got to pull the big leaguer move and just like leave the game. So literally I had my second at bat grounded out, come back to the dugout. The manager shakes my hand and goes, best of luck with your career. You're flying out to Eugene tomorrow. And I already knew that. He's like, Beck's going to take you back to the complex. So we literally like, exactly like you see in spring training, threw my bag over my shoulder, walked out across the field while everybody's getting ready for the fourth inning or whatever. Um, packed up my locker, packed up my hotel room and flew up to Spokane, Washington, which is where I met the team. Um, and that was when it really started to sink in that like, this is pro ball. Like that stadium was one of those like old classic American ballparks, like huge high wall with all the advertisements for all the local businesses and stuff three four thousand people in the stadium and uh it was cool because like again I, I got up there and I guess 
know, for what, like being an 11th round pick, I had a little bit of, you know, pull behind my name. So like I get up there, I'm playing second base and I'm hitting third, my first game up with the team. Um, I think I got my first hit that night. I had like a little dinky single up the middle. And then I'm going to say in like my second or third game, I hit my first home run. And that stadium in right field, there's like a regular high wall. And then like in the corner, it cuts down to like probably a five foot wall. And there's like a little old train car out there, hit it off the train car. And I'm like running around the bases, like don't look like you've done this before. And uh, I got back to the dugout and our manager, Pat Murphy says to me, yeah, you're a big home run guy, Tiss. I can tell by how, how you aren't excited at all. And I just kind of looked at him and he's like, you can smile. Like that was cool. And I was like, oh man, like, that was all. Like, I'm, I hit a pro home run. Um, so it was, it was awesome. And then like you kind of get into the season and it's your first time, you know, doing the whole every single night thing. I was lucky with where I played um, with the Padres, both Eugene and then the following year in Fort Wayne were awesome stadiums with great fan bases. So it was like, again, three, 4,000 people every night you're doing like the full blown major league thing. Like you're there at one o'clock, you're taking batting practice with the music on and the scoreboard, like flashing highlights and stuff. People start coming into the ballpark. You go inside, eat your dinner. Um, and it really starts to, to sink in that like, yeah, this is what my life's going to be for the next, you know, however long, cause I'm a, I'm a professional ball player. And it's, it's so cool that first year cause everything's new to you. Um, every city that you go to people have, you know, made up a baseball card of yours to have you sign so that, you know, if you make it, they can say, Oh, I had the first autograph that he ever signed when he was back in short season. And, uh, it was, it was really an exciting fun year. We were pretty good in the second half. Um, we got to the final game of the year and it was like a win and you're in losing you're out. Um, ended up losing to, I don't remember who. Um, so we ended up missing the playoffs by like a half a game or whatever. Um, but then like, you know, over the course of the year, I played against Joey Gallo. I played against Mike Zanino. Uh, some of these like guys that now are huge names. Right. It's cool to look back on it. Uh, Marcus Stroman was with the Vancouver Canadians that year. He, he was closing for them and I had played with him in the Cape. So it was kind of cool to have that at bat off of him, even though he, broke my bat and I grounded out to him too. Um, but it was, it was fun and, and exciting to just kind of like learn how to program your body for, you know, one to seven and then seven to 10 for the game. And to just like the, I mean, sleeping on the bus sucks, but that first year when you're like, yeah, I'm doing it. Like I'm a pro guy. It's like almost, you wear it like a badge of honor that like, you know, we slept on the bus overnight. We pulled into whatever city at four o'clock in the morning. Our hotel rooms weren't ready till 11, slept for an hour and went to the park and did it all over again. Um, so it's that the first couple of years are, are super exciting because you're in, you know, new cities each year and learning a new league and moving up and stuff. So that, that first like year and a half with them was, was just awesome. Nice. So actually yesterday, Ray and I talked to PJ Poole and he's currently uh, lefty in the Padres or, or Padres, um, Rockies organization. He just finished up uh, low A and high A. So this is his okay. third coming up on his third season. That's the one thing he said he was like, cause I remember you telling me about it. And I said that to him, it was just like the bus trips are just like atrocious. Yeah. 12 hours. You got guys in the aisle, guys laying across rows, guys laying yeah. upside down and sideways in the chairs. So 
Yeah, you, you, you learn pretty quick what kind of a sleeper you are. Um, like there are guys that are guys that can sleep sitting up, which I could never do. Um, I was, I was lucky. I had a couple of older guys on that demon Eugene that like I became friendly with quickly. And like after one or two trips, they're like, dude, you got to go to Walmart. You got to get yourself one of those like foam mattress toppers and just roll it up, stick it on top of the, in the cargo hold of the bus. And then, you know, as soon as you get on the bus, just unroll it under your seat and just go to sleep. It's like, okay. But like one of those like stupid, like Toy Story pillows and a, foam pad and it was like all right now now i've got a bet on the bus every single time we're there uh, but yeah you got guys like I've, I've seen guys like on the minor league grinders instagram yeah. account they have like they bring like hammocks and string them up to certain <laughs> stuff and like it's crazy like because again you're, you're spending so much time traveling especially in some of those bigger leagues like northwest league you go from anywhere in like up in vancouver to almost like all the way down that coast it's like you've got i think there's like two or three 12 or 13 hour trips and then like your average trip is probably six to eight and you're doing those after a game you know 10 or 11 o'clock at night so it's uh certainly certainly not the uh, most fun you'll have in your minor league experience but you know for the first year or two it's it's kind of fun because like everybody's in it for the first time and like wow we're on our way like road to the show kind of thing right it's true and that's funny because actually he actually did play pj played in that league, actually, because I remember him talking about how they went up to Vancouver to play a couple games. Um, so that's funny. But anyways, yeah. So, Ray, do you have anything? Because I'm going to ask you um, after Ray goes. I don't know if I'm going to kind of speed up. But I'll we'll go with the Padres when you're with the Padres. Kind of like your, we'll say, top three, like, memorable moments in all your time with them. But any, anyways, first, Ray, do you have anything? Um, quickly, you said checkers earlier when you were talking about recruitment. I'm not recruitment scouts at Stony Brook. And did you feel like there was any competition among like your, I say juniors probably, isn't it better to get drafted as juniors and seniors for a uh, time in at college? Yeah. So you, uh, the junior year, you have a little bit more, uh, a little bit more leverage. So you're going to get more money. Um, you'll be able to get some money for school as well. Um, the way that the way that I kind of illustrate it, like in in my draft class out of Stony Brook, our catcher was a third round pick. He was a senior. He got I think five grand. The pick value was probably two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. But with the way that the the draft is set up, um, because there's like a cap on how much you can spend on your first ten picks, if you want to go over to sign your first round pick, somebody's going to end up getting, you know, the short end of the stick later on. Um, so yeah, as a junior. I go in the, in the 11th round, I get a hundred grand, but my third round catcher as a senior gets five. Okay. Uh, so yeah, you definitely want to go as a junior, which adds a little bit of pressure. Um, but in terms of like competition between guys on our team, no, not really because like, again, we had a catcher, a couple of pitchers, a couple of outfielders, a couple of infielders. So it was never that like any of us really saw it as like, Oh, if I, if I get picked, this person won't. Um, we all just kind of assume like, you know, there's 30 teams and seven or eight levels of minor league ball in every single organization. There's, there's going to be a spot for all of us to at least land and get our career started. All right. And what was the cross checker you mentioned at scout to have a cross checker with them? Yeah. So the uh, it's just kind of like a second layer. So they have like the, the local scouts um, they call them area scouts. So those are like Northeast, Southeast, whatever. 
and then you'll have like a, a cross checker who's above them and he'll go in a bigger area. So he might do like Northeast, mid Atlantic, Southeast. He'll have that whole area. Um, and then once the, the area scout says like, Hey, I want you to take a look at Max Tissenbaum. Tell me what you think. Then he'll come in and he'll say, Oh yeah, stamp of approval. That guy's good. And send okay. it up you know, to the front office from there. So it's just kind of like a, a second set of eyes that they bring with them um, once they've got like a read on a guy that they think they like. So when you just to kind of bounce off of that, and then we'll go back to your time with the Padres. So with the cross checker, like, was that ever, um, was that good news to you? Like, if you saw, you know, a team that might've been in contact with you, have a cross checker show up, like would that put pressure on you because you knew that clearly you were getting somewhere or that excite you because they were getting that second layer or. Um, it was, it was more exciting than anything. Uh, again, I was, I think a lot of us, because of the way that college ball was for us, I mean, I, I think it still is, but the way that college ball is focused on just winning as a team, none of us were in the mindset where we were like, oh, this is big for me. Like, oh, that guy's here to see all of us. Let's go, let's go win another game and it'll be good for all of us. Um, so, like, again, it was cool because, you know, there were times when, like, even GMs would show up. Oh, wow. So, like, we had, you know, Omar Manaya showed up a couple of times. Um, there were some guys from, like, the front office of the Mets that came out. Um, and that was, like, it was cool because you're like, oh, wow, there's some real serious heat on us. But it was never like, oh, my God, if I have a bad game today, this cross checker is going to you know, strike my name off the list and that's the end of my life. Um, just because, again, like I, we were all so totally focused on, on every single day. Like there were there were days when I got down to, uh, got down to the field early at home to just like hit off a tee, and like I remember, you know, the Cub Scout doing it. I remember my scout with the Padres doing it. Did like come out onto the field and like put the ball on the tee and just like have a conversation with me, like 35 minutes before BP started. So it was all like those guys were like almost kind of friendly with us to the point that it was just like yeah, they're there doing their job. I'm here doing my job and let's just kind of make it work. Gotcha. All right. So now back to your time with the Padres. So let's talk about like your top, I guess just to kind of, so we can jam it all into one, like what are your <laughs> top three, like most memorable or most fun moments? Um, and then we can probably ask questions off of those. We have any, so what do you got? Yeah. So I would, I would say the number one was probably my first big league spring training game and my first big league spring training hit. I think I remember watching that on TV actually when you were. Yeah. 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 Um, so that was, I mean, again, like you go to spring training on the minor league side, you're not with the big league guys, but every day they need guys to, to back up so that those guys can get out of the game early. And uh, I remember like they did it at the morning meeting every day. So you've got like all 200 minor leaguers on the field and okay, this team's playing on this field. This team's on this field. You guys are traveling. You guys are staying back. And then at the end, they would just kind of like, all right, you know, this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy are going to go and back up. So after you take BP, go inside, get your big league jersey, and head over to their side and get into the stadium. And uh, I remember that game was against the Angels. And in Arizona, you get a better crop of players coming to each of the spring training games because everything's so much closer. So I remember I'm like walking into the stadium. There's like me and two or three other minor league guys. The big leaguers are all out on the field, you know, running their sprints and whatever, because it's probably 15, 20 minutes before the game. And I walk in and I put my bag down along the warning track and I go to like do my little eyewash sprints and whatever and like get myself loose, even though I know I'm not going into like the sixth inning, seventh inning. 
and I see Josh Hamilton walk by me. I see Albert Pujols walk by me. I see Mark Trumbo walk by me. And I'm like, those guys are on the same field as me. I watched those guys on TV and it was like this just, Oh my God moment. Um, it's actually a funny story. That game. Um, we finished running our sprints. We go into the dugout. Cameron Mabin is sitting there, crosses his legs over, like almost like he's sitting on a couch, like puts his leg up and he's just like sitting there like this with his like thumbs on the video game controllers. And they're announcing the, the angels lineup. And I'm just like sitting there going like, what the hell is he doing? Trout, Trumbo, Pujols, Hamilton, this guy, this guy, this guy. And somebody at some point goes like, Cam, what are you doing? He goes, 330, 35 home runs, 125 RBIs, 330, 30 home runs, 140 RBIs, 320, 35 home runs. These dudes playing on easy mode, man. What the hell is going on here? And I'm like, <laughs> we're sitting here dying laughing. We're like, this guy is impressed by these big leaguers. Like, that's how – that's like the level that these guys are on. Um, and then I get called in in probably the – after sixth inning to pinch run for Alexi Amarista got to play defense, gotten at bat and I hit a single up the middle, got an RBI. And I just remember like hearing, hearing now batting for the Padres and Max Tissenbaum and walking up to the plate. I was almost like left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. Don't <laughs> fall over. Cause it's like one of those moments when like you hear it for the first time, you're like, Oh my God, like I'm here. Yeah. And, uh, that was that was a really cool moment. Um, I think probably number two would be that first home run up in Spokane. Again, it's like a kind of a stamping moment on your pro career. Like here, I'm on my way. It's my first home run. And then uh, probably number three would be when we clinched our playoff spot in Fort Wayne in 13. Um, that was the first time I'd ever been part of like the you know, taped up locker room, champagne celebration and all that kind of stuff. So we knew that we were, we were going to clinch second place at least if we won, we go out, we win that game, come back to the locker room and like, you have a clubhouse manager, same as the big league guys. You walk in and you're like, it's all taped up. It's on. Let's go. Our manager comes in gives like this whole like rah, rah, way to go. We did it boys speech. And then like he pops the first bottle and everybody just goes bananas. Um, and you're doing your interviews like in the locker room guys are like coming over and like pouring a bottle of champagne on your head as you're talking. Um, so that one was really cool just in terms of like feeling like a big leaguer, um, and having that like, you know, champagne shower was just something I'll never forget. What was it like pitching? Oh, my back Connor. You're good. Keep going. No, you're good. What was it like pitching? Uh, was it for Charlotte that one, one batter? <laughs> that was, uh, that was kind of interesting. So we, uh, we had a bad habit with Lakeland. Uh, the two years that I was in Port Charlotte, we managed to play them an 18 inning game each year. Oh my. So the first game of that series was our 18 inning game. And we used every single pitcher that we had following day. We have drew smiley rehabbing with us. So we're like, okay, he's going four innings or 85 pitches. So like, at least we know we've got four innings blocked out where we don't need our bullpen. And then our starter will piggyback him. That's Blake Snell. So we're like, all right, we're in good shape. And Smiley goes out and just like walks guys, gives up hits. He's out of the game in like an inning and a third at his pitch count. And 
we're all sitting, like I'm in the bullpen that day because I had caught the 18 innings the night before. And I'm like sitting there in turf. So I didn't even put on spikes. I'm like, there's no possible way I'm getting into this game. And I'm going to say it was the eighth inning. It was the last out that we recorded in the game. We were down. Um, so I'm like out in the bullpen. I've warmed up every single arm that we have left available. And the phone rings. And the kid that picked it up was actually my roommate who was like a bit of a joker. So when he said it at first, I was like, yeah, okay, good one, Kimbo. He's like, piss, they said you got, you got to get ready. And I'm like, yeah, okay, what did they actually say? He goes, no, really. They said you got the next hitter. And I'm like, shit, somebody <laughs> give me some spikes. Somebody give me a glove. Like I haven't thrown a ball. Like I'm just, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I got up, literally one of the pitchers, like grabbed my glove and my mask. I threw like three balls just to like grease up my arm a little bit. And then like the guy's out and I'm like, okay, I got to run in Lakeland stadium. The bullpens are like behind the deepest part of right center field, like at 420. <laughs> so like we get the out manager walks out, gives me one of these. And I'm like, all right, here we go. And that's like the longest run in the history of the world. Like you're just jogging in, like trying not to look stupid with the pitcher jog. And uh, I remember I got up onto the mound and my manager gives me the ball and he says, don't do anything stupid and hurt yourself don't try and throw hard 75 and get us out of the inning is good. And I'm like, all right, whatever. And throw my five eyewash warm-up pitches, just trying not to like look like I'm trying too hard, not look like I'm not trying hard enough. And the kid that I actually faced was Tyler Hanover, who was the third baseman at LSU during our super regional. That's so it was kind of cool in that way. Um, I think I threw five pitches. It was like a 2-2 count. He popped up to the third baseman in foul territory. That ended the inning. And I went back to the dugout and just like to be a bit of a smartass, I like took my hat off, put it on top of my glove like the pitchers always do, grabbed a towel, wrapped my arm, and went over to the trainer. And I'm like, hey, if that's all I got for today, do I have to do a full shoulder program or can I just do the half one? And he's just like, sit down, get out of my face. You're not doing a shoulder program. Um, so it was fun. It was like one of those like cool things that, you know, when people like talk about like quirky minor league stats, like, yeah, you know, I had a zero ERA in my pro career. You did. That's the truth. Was that the, before that, when was the last time you pitched like an actual game? <sighs> Probably in high school, but for my school team, like I never pitched for my travel team. I told my, uh, my high school coach that I would be their closer. Just because, like, again, being a, being like an actual player, I was able to, like, dominate guys with an 84-mile-an-hour fastball. Um, so I would literally just get up there and, like, throw 10 to 15 fastballs and hopefully strike three guys out, and that was the end of it. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, like, pitching was never on my radar. Nice. So we'll go back a little bit. So at that point, you were with Tampa. So talk about um, when you found out you had gotten traded to – Tampa um along yeah. with that there was a position change so tell us like about kind of uh the when you got the phone call or how that ever went down and then kind of like what your feelings were knowing that they wanted to convert you from a middle infielder uh to a catcher yeah so the the trade happened in the middle of January I was at home um I was working for a family friend of mine his company called Splash they do like all sorts of importing for like home decor stuff and things that you use around your house, um, Christmas decorations, stuff like that. So I had worked for him both off seasons. He was awesome. He'd let me work, you know, nine to five, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then nine to one. So I could go and train earlier on Tuesdays and Thursdays. 
And it was just one of those things that like, you know, it's like a good fit. I came out of a business program. I'm working in, you know, this, this support role in a big business. And, uh, I just happened to be sitting at my computer, check my email. And I had it, I was looking for something that my mom had sent me and I opened up my email and it's like from AJ Hinch. I think it was AJ Hinch. Yeah, I think it was. He was the assistant GM for the Padres at that point. Oh, wow. And uh, it just says, hey, can you give me a call? Here's my phone number. And I was like, okay. Called him. Hey, Max, didn't want you to find out through social media, through Twitter, or any of your friends, but we traded you to the Tampa Bay Rays. Their traveling secretary will be in touch with you probably within the hour. Thanks for everything the last two years, and uh, best of luck the rest of the way. Click. That's crazy. And, like, it was literally that quick. Yeah. And uh, I just remember, like, it, it almost felt like the rest of the day I was, like, watching my life happen in a movie. Like, I couldn't get my mind focused. Um, I ran into the back, and I said to Brian, the guy that I was working for, he's a huge baseball fan. I played with his son growing up. I said, Brian, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I have absolutely no idea what's going on right now. I just got traded. And he's like, oh, come into my office. Let's talk about it. So it was like kind of fun in that way. Yeah. Uh, and right away, one of my roommates from Fort Wayne was Max Freed, who's now with the Braves. Um, he texted me and said like he had heard through his agency because he's with one of the big time agencies that like I wasn't a throw in. I was somebody that the Rays wanted. So that was kind of cool to hear from him. Um, so it was exciting, but it was also kind of like, I know none of the coaches there. I just played against, you know, the Bowling Green team was the Rays and like we played against them the whole year. I don't know any of those guys. Um, so it's, it's kind of like a whole new world. And then you wait for the phone call. Hey, we're here, you know, who, here's who I am and here's your reporting information and we'll see you in Port Charlotte. Um, with the catching stuff, the Padres had sent me to instructional league and, 13 to start converting me to a catcher they didn't really have like a true catching coordinator so it was more just trial and error that I was doing and then like any of the coaches that had caught kind of gave me some little pointers along the way but I don't really think I I really I know I didn't learn very much there it was just more like me getting thumbed and taking foul balls off the inside of my shins because I had no idea how to set up like I just got beaten up so I get to spring training with the Rays, knowing full well that I'm going there as a catcher. And uh, their catching coordinator, Paul Hoover, I've said this to anybody that'll listen, was the best instructional coach I've ever had in any sport, at any level, at any point in my life. Um, and it was just every single day I had early work for my defense. Um, once we got into like regular spring training and there's two early work groups, I was the only catcher in camp that never had a hitting early work. I had back-to-back -back defense every single day. And he just, he broke things down to like their simplest moves. And, you know, like I remember during early camp before we even really got started, I'm sitting there with a couple of the double A AA and triple A catchers having never done this before. And we're like doing barehanded receiving and he's just flipping us balls. Okay. Catch it and turn it over, catch it and turn it over. And I'm like trying to figure out what he meant. And I did it. He's like, oh yeah, great. That's exactly it right there. And I'm going like, I don't even know what I did, but hey, I'm doing it right. Um, and he started to explain, you know, here's the school analogy. I can't teach you university level physics if I haven't taught you first grade science yet. 
because it builds on it. He goes, that's why you're doing the same drills that the big league guys are doing, the double A guys are doing. And just kind of having that mentorship of, you know, it's okay to fail. This is why you're doing it. This is what you're learning. Um, I learned more in that six weeks than I've learned in any six weeks of my life, just picking up that whole new position. So it was exciting. It was fun. It was a little, little bit scary because again, like I had no idea whether that meant I was going to start back all the way at the bottom in rookie ball or if I'd make a team out of spring training. It was uh, a little bit nerve wracking in that way, but you know, I got lucky. I had a huge offensive spring, so I ended up making the high A team right away. Um, that year I actually got to play in a big league spring training game as well. Okay. They had seven of us fly up to Montgomery. Right. The last spring training game they played against the double A team. So we got to fly on the team charter. We got to take the, you know, police escorted bus to the stadium, big league bag service. Like we never touched our bags. They set up our lockers for us. Um, and so, yeah, that was another, like, you know, talk about top moments. Like that was pretty unbelievable. So I want to go back to that. Cause remember we talked, I think we talked right around that yeah. time. So was it Will Myers that was messing with you on the flight or who was one of those? Yeah. No, it was Chris Archer, actually. He like, leaned over the seat, and he's like – Turn your phone off, right? Yeah, you got to turn off your phone. You got to buckle your seatbelt, put your seat up. And I'm like, hold on, we're flying a charter flight, and I just flew one at the World Series, and you didn't have to do any of that. He's like, oh, come on. Like, usually the rookies don't know that, like, that there's really no rules on a charter flight. Right. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of funny. And then, like, in the locker room, I remember uh, Joe Madden was walking around and, like, looking at all the different hot sauces that were in the, you know, in the spread. And I don't know if I, if I told you this one, but there was one, they were all like local hot sauces in Montgomery. There was one called rectal rocket fuel. He picks it up and he looks at it and like the logo, I'll let you kind of use your imagination out in your head. Um, and he just picked it up, looked at it. Longo, you got to see this. This is hilarious. Will, you got to see this arch. You got to see it. And they're all like, like he's running around showing it to all these guys. Like he was like a 13 year old kid. It was like, it was absolutely hilarious. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, it was, it was cool to be in, in that thing. And then like we went out to stretch and like, you know, the big leaguers wear whatever they want to wear. It's like, I'm in the pullover jacket, which you're not allowed to do at all in the minor leagues with the rays. And we go and we like do our running and then we sit down to do our bands and whatever. And <laughs> Longoria turns around to me. He was in front of me in line. He goes, Hey man, what's up? I'm Evan. And I'm like, what's up, man? I'm Evan. Like everybody knows who you are, my man. Like You don't have to introduce yourself to me. So that was kind of cool to sit there and talk to him and like some of the other guys too. That's cool. So and then jumping back to the catching stuff, like what made them to your knowledge make, uh, want them to make that decision to turn you into a catcher? <laughs> I run like a catcher and I've always run like a catcher. Um, <laughs> I've, I've been hearing that. I've been hearing that from the time that I was probably 13, 14 years old, like, you know, left-handed bat, you really know the game. Well, you got good hands, quick feet. You should probably think about catching because you're not a, a good runner. And I was always just like, no, I'll do it when somebody drags me there. Like I want to play the infield for now. Um, so I, I kind of had a feeling that it was coming eventually, um, which again was why it wasn't such a shock and like, Oh my God, no, I don't want to be a catcher. Like it kind of, the writing was on the wall eventually. Right. So it was just kind of like, that was just kind of like you're born into a position, but you just didn't. Yeah. Like, again, it was, it was one of those things where like, again, you go back to the Canadian thing, like being from a smaller country and 
like playing in Toronto. I was the best shortstop on my team. Right. I was on the you know team Toronto when whenever there was an All Star team, so I'm the best shortstop there. I made it to Team Canada, so I'm one of the best shortstops there. Um, why would I you know make that change at that point? Uh, but again, I think I I kind of knew all along that unless I just was that good when I got to the minor leagues, it was eventually going to happen. Right. It's kind of funny though because like you say that like hypothetically, if you were you know, a guy down here in, in, uh, you know, baseball in the United States, someone might've looked at you very on or early on and said, you're going to catch. And that was just yeah. kind of, that was it, you know? Yeah. No. And, and again, I, I don't think that, I don't think that if I was born here, that my career goes anywhere near the same way that it did. Right. Absolutely. I would have I had to, um, probably get a running coach to like learn how to run and get faster. I probably would have needed to be at a ton of showcases to just like, constantly have my name in front of people just because like again I'm in a one day thing I don't pop off the page like I think uh the one perfect game that I went to when I was in 10th or 11th grade like I was I was nothing special compared to a lot of those guys I was down in Fort Myers and it was like wow there's some dudes down here and that's just like you know your regular run-of-the-mill uh perfect game event Wow. Yeah, no, that's, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting too. Essentially that definitely helped you out, you know, where you were back to So now we've kind of gotten through your, uh, time with Tampa. You are, you converted to, uh, become a catcher. Um, you played your seasons, you played in Port Charlotte. So now, uh, I remember, I don't know if you told me or I read it somewhere. It might've been, uh, when you, you were a blogger at one point, um, doing some really cool baseball blogs it got some attention in the baseball world so that was pretty cool and I I don't know if I read this but so now let's talk about when you get traded again to Miami and think well this is definitely uh, an interesting point because this is now the second time you've been traded Um, and I think you because you were you were asleep right you'd woken up to a bunch of messages and calls from a manager your manager yeah so I was I was in Australia I was actually playing winter ball down there um, and it was the rule five draft. So I had a, I, I knew that I was eligible for it. I didn't know anything about it other than that, you know, if a team picked me, I went there. Um, so I woke up in the morning, which is nighttime here. And, uh, my agent had sent me a message on Twitter saying Marlins picked you in rule five. And I was like, cool. It means I'm, you know, I'm out of Tampa Bay where I was, you know, just kind of stuck backing up two years in a row. Um, so I was super excited about that, finished out my you know, winter ball season. I actually got back to Jupiter for a little uh, pitchers and catchers camp that off season, which was kind of nice. I thought that was like a, a big deal. Um, and then, uh, yeah, headed down to Jupiter for spring training and got, uh, got start number three, which again, like at that point, having been through it before, you kind of know what to expect. Like you're not going to know where anything is. You're not going to know who anybody is. Um, but I knew a couple of guys in the organization, which was nice. Um, Tommy Kohler was with them. He was a Stony Brook guy a couple of years before me. So he was on the big league side, came over and made sure to say hi. Um, I bumped into Riley McEachern, who's a Stony Brook guy that was there after I was, he's from, uh, Saugus, Massachusetts. Um, so I bumped into him. He introduced himself right away, which was kind of nice. Roll North Shore, baby. Yeah, like having having a couple guys that were familiar faces was nice um, going into there. Nice. So, uh, so now you went to Greensboro, right? That was uh, where you were for that half year. Yeah. So I was, 
it was a, a weird year. So I went to spring training with them. I was with the group that eventually broke the double A all spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, ended up getting hurt. My shoulder just went having played two winters in a row and two full seasons in a row. Um, so I ended up getting shut down for like two and a half, almost three weeks. Um, pro ball is extremely cautious with injuries, which is kind of a pain. Um, so like, I honestly, if, if it was up to me, I probably would have been able to shut it down for three or four days and then be fine. But with them, it's like, all right, you got to go a week. Then you have to start a week of rehab. And if there's any pain, then you shut it down for another six days. And it's like, all of a sudden you miss most of spring training. Um, so I started that year and extended and they were like, all right, well, we're going to get you out as soon as we can to a team. And the first injury that came up was low A. So I actually moved down a level that year from, you know, the previous two years being at high A. Went out to Greensboro. I'm like the, what, 25-year-old, you know, at this point, journeyman catcher with like a bunch of 18, 19, 20-year-olds on my team. Um, so that was kind of like my, uh, my Crash Davis moment. Um, just kind of like there was a kid. Uh, what the heck was his name? Soto. Then outfielder with them that like at one point he came up to me, he goes, you look old. How old are you? And I was like, way too old to be here. Like <laughs> I'm 25, this kid's 18 years old in like his first full season. I'm like, this is not a good thing. Right. So, so at that point, like what's kind of going through your head? Um, I mean, obviously I, I assume when you had that injury in that period of three weeks must've been like mentally just, frustrating and sad and I bet it was kind of you had one of those moments you had when you were at work and you just been traded to Tampa it's kind of like I'm watching my life kind of just like flash in front of me essentially yeah yeah I mean it it sucked um it sucked in spring training being shut down because like you're watching all these guys go out and sort of earn their earn their spots and whatever um got up to Greensboro and you know like pro ball isn't exactly the most straightforward place. Like you're going to be told one thing and then something completely different is going to happen in a lot of cases. Um, so I was told I was kind of just going there to rehab and then they're going to get me out to somewhere else. Um, went back. I didn't play badly. Like I had a couple home runs. I hit a grand slam, um, caught pretty well, I thought. Um, and then we came home from Lexington, some like ridiculous overnight road trip. We get in at like 1 2 o'clock in the morning dumped my stuff in my locker, ran to my car. I'm like, okay, I just got to get home, go to sleep. And as I'm getting into my car, one of the guys goes, oh, piss, Smoke wants to talk to you inside. And I'm like, oh, thank God I'm getting out of here. Because I had like just started to play well too. And uh, I figured I was going up to high A, maybe if I got lucky, double A. I walk in, he's like, well, this is the worst part of a job. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You're releasing me? Yeah. Like I was, I was pissed. And they're like, yeah, well, we just don't have a spot for you. So, you know, we wish you all the best. Go into the trainer. He'll give you your travel money and uh, clean out your locker. You're gone. And I'm like, all right. So kind of uh, packed up everything as quickly as I could. Went back to the apartment that I was staying at. Um, woke up the next morning and just drove up to um, Albany, which is where my girlfriend was living at the time. And uh, spent like four or five days there. While I was in the car, my agent actually um, put together a deal for me to go to Quebec to play indie ball. Um, wasn't sure that I wanted to do it. Didn't think I was going to do it. Um, but I had, I had in 
middle school and high school hit with Andrew Tinnish, who was the Blue Jay scouting director. Um, he was like my hitting coach growing up. So I spoke to him while I was driving and I'm like, Hey, is this a good thing for me to do? Like, does this make sense? And he said, if you've got any shot right now in, you know, mid June of getting back to affiliated ball, um, given what's gone on with you this year, he goes, you go to indie ball, you got to rake, you got to catch really well. And hopefully somebody will see you. Um, and so I was like, all right, yeah, like whatever, I'll go do it. And, uh, that four days was the first time I had ever had like a full four days in a row to just like relax in the middle of the summer. Um, like I remember we were sitting there grilling out at her house with her dad and says to me like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm actually just like really relaxed right now for the first time in my life. Like I'm sitting here and just like, you know, having a, having a burger, having some corn, watching the sun go down and like just relaxing. Like this is awesome. Um, you know, with all this baseball stuff kind of going on in the background. So it was, it was frustrating. It was sad, but at the same time, you know, it's like a, another, another part of the journey. So real quick, I had two more questions. One about what you just said, one about uh, your time, like overall in the minors. And then we'll Ray wanted to talk about your uh, independent yep. ball. So my first question, like what you just said, like, was that moment when you were kind of hanging out um, at her house with her dad, like, was that kind of a moment where you, essentially came to peace with it and you were like okay like here's where I'm at like I'm content or is there still like you said some some urgency to get re-signed or oh you yeah no it was it was uh it was nice to have that four days but it was I'm going to Quebec to like in my head I thought like I'm going to go up to indie ball I'm going to hit 600 in my first two weeks there and I'm going to sign like in a month um when in reality it was more you know looking toward next spring training um, so yeah, there was definitely still that urgency to just like, okay, I got to go and like really do some work right here. Otherwise, like this could be the end of things. Right. Cause I was like, I was trying to decipher, like, was that your moment of being like, okay, like it's, it's my, essentially it's my time. It's my time to kind of, you know, put the brakes on versus like, all right, no. screw it. Let's go, let's go to work and let's, yeah, you know. no, it was, it was full steam ahead. Let's go. It just like, it just so happened that like the team wasn't going to be home until four days later. So they were like, Oh, don't drive down to New York to play with us. Like we'll meet you up there. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. Gotcha. And then, so this is a question I asked PJ yesterday. So this is kind of a fun one that I always like want to know. And you've kind of given me bits and pieces over time. So um, I said to him, actually, you know, when you're a kid or when you're younger, even like I said, in college and you're watching like, some major league guys play on TV and then now at spring training, you get to kind of play with these guys or, you know, go on the, go on a flight with them. Like, what overall uh, in your time in the minors was your coolest like major league um, interaction, I guess you could say kind of like with Longoria and Cameron, Cameron Mabe and stuff like that. Um, huh. I think the, the funniest one, the one that I remember the most we were playing, I think it was the Indians and Nick Swisher was playing first base. And I'm like, in the dugout, I'm like telling myself, if you get put into run and you're at first base, don't say hi, Nick. Don't say hi, Mr. Swisher. Give him like a what up, Swish. <laughs> cool. And whoever gets on base, they're like, all right, piss, go pinch run. I'm like, oh, wow, he's still in the game. So I get out there and I'm like, I go in, I like touch the base, do my little like couple of stretches. And I'm like, yo, what's up, Swish? It's like, man, look at this, man. We got like, 6,000 people, weather's perfect. You can't beat this. And, like, here I am, like, growing out with Nick Swisher. 
and uh, I take my lead off. The guy picks off, and I know that the ball gets by because, like, as I dive back, I hear like, "Oh!" <laughs> I get up, I hear the the first base coach going, "Go, go, 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 go!" And in my head, I know that down the right field line in Peoria, there's a tarp, and yep. if the ball hits the tarp, it's gonna kick into the right field corner. Okay. So I'm like, "All right, I'm showing off my baseball savvy here. I'm going first to third. Yeah. I'm gonna show that I'm fast. Like this is great." And I just take off oh, God. and I come around second base and I'm like head down running as hard as I can get like halfway where I'm like looking for the third baseman and I see him like catch the ball yeah. and like waiting for me. And I'm like, Oh shit. Slide in. I'm out by a lot. <laughs> I'm back to the dugout and the, the bench coach comes up to me and he goes, well, thanks for giving us the scouting report on Swisher. He's got a pretty good arm. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. Oh no! <laughs> like, at that point, I'm like, I want to crawl into a hole. Like I, I, like as small as you could possibly be. He comes up to me and goes, "That's an aggressive base running error. That's what we want to see in spring training. You weren't playing it safe. Was the ball kicked back off the end cap right back to him? He goes, "You had no chance." I'm like, "Okay." So well, that was that was kind of the cool one. Just like with him being, you know, like that big gregarious character and like, "Yo, what up, Swish?" And he gives me like this big Nick Swisher answer. That's awesome. And then it's like, and then I just kind of embarrass myself like immediately. Yeah. Like, and again, like it was, it was cool. Cause like you go from like being this guy's like, not really like being his bro, but like just kind of having that conversation where like, you know, it's just like another guy that you're playing against. Right. Um, so it was, that was, that was pretty cool. Nice. All right. So now we talked about minor league ball. So now I'm going to give uh, give it to Ray talk about um, just your indie ball and your winter stuff. Yep. So kind of mentioned earlier, was it Bismarck and then playing for Canada? And how did, how was that, those two different experiences, even with minor league ball? But then you also kind of mentioned you were dating during that time. How did that, like, not get affected by everything? Or maybe it did. Yeah, so um, Team Canada in high school was cool um, because it's, like, 10 days at a time you go out on a trip. So I was, like, Dominican. Then in the summertime we did, like, across Canada before the under-18 world championship. And then the next year I did two trips down to Disney. So that's awesome. Cause like, again, you're, you're living the pro life as a high schooler. Like you're staying at a hotel clubhouse, all that kind of stuff, um, playing against minor league players. Um, so that was, that was cool. Brisbane was unbelievable. Um, getting sent down there by the Rays was one of the, the best things that ever happened to me, like baseball wise. Um, Cause it was just so much fun. Like, it's a, a totally different vibe in terms of like winter ball, you're playing to win again versus playing to develop guys. So like you knew that, you know, like our, we had a setup guy, we had a closer, we had like a long guy. Like it wasn't just like, Oh, this guy needs innings. So let's throw him in. Um, a lot of older guys in that league, it's kind of mixed. So you get like a little bit more perspective on, you know, different levels and different pitch calling stuff and stuff like that, which was really good for me. Um, I loved it so much that I kind of bullied my way into going back the second year. Um, I wasn't supposed to go, but I told the owner there when we missed the playoffs the first year, I was like, I'm going to come back next year and we're going to win the whole thing. And he's like, Oh, okay. So when it came down to it, he's like, okay, yeah, you want to come back? I got a spot for you. I had to like convince the Rays that like, I'm not going to go and steal at bats from your guys. Don't worry. Like it'll be fine. Um, and then the other part of it with like relationships and stuff, that's the, that's one of the hardest things to deal with 
that people don't really understand about minor league baseball is that there's so much time that's dedicated to being at the field. There's so much uncertainty of knowing where I'm going to be day to day that like, whether it's somebody you're dating, married to, um, if it's your family back home, there's a real serious toll that's put on those relationships Mm -hmm. because like, you know, there are, there are guys that I know who, um, you know, you plan a trip, your girlfriend's going to come see you and she's booked her flight. You've booked the hotel to stay in and all this stuff. And then like eight hours before her flight, you get moved up to a different team or you get moved down or you get released. Um, or you're going five, six, seven months of the year without really seeing them other than for like a three day weekend or a four day weekend, you know, one in June and one in August. So it's, uh, that's kind of like the the hidden side of things where like you've really got to make an effort and you've really got to try and find a way to to kind of get through it um because like the the long distance aspect of it sucks to be completely honest what so back to the independent ball in Canada and then what made you uh hang it up at the end yeah, I was like 26, 27, I'm going to say. Um, I had spent three years in that league. I was an all-star. Um, I had hit like, you know, 320, the first 315, 320, um, huge numbers. And it like I got signed with the Rockies, um, didn't make it out of spring training there. So it was just kind of like, you know what, at 25, 26, 27, never out of A ball. Um, the writing's kind of on the wall there and being serious with, with Sammy and knowing that like we wanted to have a bit more of a life than just, you know, baseball forever and making less than minimum wage. Um, I knew I had to finish school and uh, it was just, it just felt like the right time. Like you always hear players say like, I knew it was time for me to retire and I could never figure out what that meant. But like going in that last season, I was just like, you know what? I've done everything I can do. Like it didn't work out for whatever the number of reasons are, but I like, that was my kind of coming to peace moment with it. Like I've, I've been an all-star in, in winter ball. I've been an all-star in indie ball. I've been an all-star in minor leagues. Um, I've won a championship in the minor leagues. I've won a championship in winter ball. I've won a championship in indie ball. Um, and you know what, like 27 years old, it's time to kind of get real serious. Um, so I went back to school, coached that year. And then again, being Canadian, having to deal with all the paperwork of getting a job here after, um, I had another three months. So I was like, all right, I'll go back and play one more time. Um, so yeah, I kind of, I knew that that was my last season before I even got up there. And then like over the course of the year, I just kind of came to grips with it. Like, you know what, this is the end of the line. Where's so, it? Here, I guess one more question. I didn't mean to cut you off right yeah, now. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, you and I talked about this a lot, like, this winter when I was kind of at a crossroads that I feel like for myself where I was, like, very overwhelmed with everything that was going on. And um, obviously, like, you know, I decided to, you know, keep rolling with it. And here we are now. I played seven games and went down to Florida, came back, and the season was over. But, um, you know, for you, I know you said, like, I think you used a really good analogy. It was kind of like when you're rolling up to the stadium, like when you're playing road to the show and you just want to like get there, you just hit like the, the simulate button. Yep. It's just kind of like you sit there and you wait and you wait and you wait and you hopefully get there. So, I mean, this is the same question I kind of asked you before um, at that point when you had those four days off before 
um, the, the four days off before you joined the team, um, yeah. the Capitale. So was this a point when you, um, pre your final season, like were you, cause that's what it sounds like. Is it, is it, you were content. Like this is the, finally the point where you're like, you know what? Like I'm happy. Like this yep. is, this is, this is meant to be like, this is the bigger plan. Like, and here's where I am. Yeah. Like again, it was at, at first it was more just kind of like, you know what? I know I'm not getting anywhere. So like whatever I'm done. Um, that kind of like frustrated, almost like bitter in a little bit of a way. But then as that season went on, like your body and your mind just get like tired of doing it. Um, and at that point I was like, you know what? I've had so much fun doing this. I've done, you know, I've done indie ball. I've done winter ball. I've done minor league ball. I've done like pretty much everything there is to do. Um, and at that point it was like, you know what? I think I'm good. You know, like I've, I've met people from all over the world. I've traveled all over the world. I've, I've seen it. I've done it. All right. Let's, let's start on, you know, part two of whatever this whole story is. Right. And it's almost like, you know, you, you look at the guys like, you know, the major league guys that do their whole career, but I almost feel that like with you in terms of like the depth and the enjoyment that you had with your, like if you look at from the, from the time that you, started playing on a big diamond until the day that you, you know, touched the ball for the last time in Montreal, like, or in Quebec. Um, it's almost seems like there could be more depth than if you just kind of went and you played your, you know, you hit your 250 in major league ball for a couple of seasons. And that was that, you know what I mean? It seems that like, it's almost the same amount of depth either way, you know? Which yeah. Is I mean, and, and again, it's like, it, it is what you kind of get out of it. Like, Right. A lot of guys just go through it and head down and they don't focus on, you know, like doing anything outside of playing. I was always like, I was always the guy that like, if there was a community event, I volunteered to like put on my Jersey and go and sign autographs and like play, you know, play beanbag baseball with the senior citizens home and go and talk to a school and stuff. And I think just over the years, like you, you have all these experiences where it's just like, you know what? I've done a lot. This has been, this has been you know, a great journey. It's been highs and lows, obviously like that's the game, but right. um, yeah, it did just come to a point where it was like, you know what? I'm good. Like I'm happy. I can walk away from it. Um, I'm not like I was, I never, once I left was bitter. Like I, I went to big league games and I watched um, I have friends that are playing in the big leagues. I've gone in, you know, jump on a train, go watch the Mets. Um, go in and see the guys playing against the Yankees and stuff. And, you know, like, good for them that they made it. I didn't for whatever reason, but, you know, it is what it is, and life goes on. Right. And, and it's kind of funny, like, the way that I, I guess I could, like, make it hypothetical. is like It's it's almost like if you played your years at Stony Brook, you got, to, you know, you were the second day of the draft, you go in, you play your couple of seasons, but, like, yeah, great. You made the major leagues, but at the same time for you, it's like, I got to connect with all these different people. I got to tr literally travel the world because like yep. playing the game that I love, you know what I mean? Like, yep. that's just like, to me, like that just seems way more fulfilling than, and not way more fulfilling, but as fulfilling as what it could have been for a guy like Dansby Swanson plays at Vandy, does the whole thing, you know, gets first pick, first round or second yep. pick. Whatever. You know what I mean? Like he, you, you might've not had the same, life experiences you would have had than if you would just kind of went the route of life or if you were you know able to just go right in the major leagues and, yep. and 
thing, you know? No, and, and again, it's, it's what you make of it. There, you know, there's, there's always life after baseball. That's something that I've always said. Right. Um, and so just kind of knowing that and being able to just like look at a bigger picture than that, like that's, you know, that's always what it was for me. Right. And that's like, and to say, you know, bounce off that again, like that's definitely something that like that we talked about too in the winter that kind of stuck out to me is like for people that are players that might be in your position, like it's, it is scary, but it's not like, there's just so much that comes after baseball for guys that love the game and think that like it's their life, like that's their livelihood. Like, and that's something that I also talked about too, for anyone, like any people that are listening that, um, especially like my teammates might be listening, like, once you finish, like, it's always going to be a part of your identity. Um, and that's one thing, like, I was nervous about. I was like, if I, like, stop playing my sophomore year of college, like, am I – to me, I was like, I'm losing a piece of my identity. I'm not Connor Dines, the Riviera baseball player. I'm just Connor Dines. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, it's definitely nice to know that, like, it, that'll always be a part of you, you know, no matter how old you might be or wherever you might go. Yeah. No, it's – it's, uh, my grandfather always used to say, it's not so much the destination, it's the journey and the stories. So, you know, like I've, I've got all these, all these stories, all these memories, and it's like, it's something that'll never go away. Gotcha. All right, Ray. So anything else before we wrap it up? One more question in your time in the minor leagues, maybe even independent ball, what was like the best, uh, minor league promotion Jersey you saw or, or war? Ooh, this is a question we like to ask the, uh, I work in minor league baseball, so I, I'm involved with all of it. Uh, let me think. Definitely the Stars and Stripes jerseys. If you, you know what? I never, I never had a great one, like the uh, Stars and Stripes. Like Fort Wayne, they did like a Captain America theme one, oh, which I thought was kind of ridiculous. <laughs> um, like it was, more, it was more of like the cartoon than it was actually like a true you know, Stars and Stripes. Um, Whoa. Let me do a quick one of these. <laughs> it's bad that I have to kind of like go back and think about that. Um, it's weird though. Cause like you don't, you don't like pay as much attention to it as, as you kind of think that you would. Like, um, I'm going to I mean, I think one of the ones that was like kind of special to me was one of the, uh, the mother's day ones that we wore, like one of the pink ones with the stone crabs. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think I think my mom and my grandma were down there either that week or the week after. Um, my bat company Zinger made me a, a pink bat that had like instead of the model number being the three big numbers, it was MOM. So that was kind of nice too, um, just to kind of pair with it. I'm trying to think of any other ones that like stuck out that I remember, but I I really don't offhand. No worries. That's all good. But yeah, so. Uh pretty cool though to definitely uh you know obviously I've gotten to talk to you over the years but like to really kind of break everything down is really cool and get some insight into like especially the mentality like for anyone that at least for us and anyone that might be listening about um someone that went through the grind and and it's uh it's a misconception I think that a lot of people have that don't understand baseball is how much of a grind this whole thing really is I mean I think there was one point actually I meant to ask you this earlier because weren't you at least one of the top three hardest players to strike on the NCAA at one point. Yeah. Number one in all of 2012. Number yeah, as well. That's pretty cool. So like, it just goes to show that like, you could still be the hardest player to strike out in division one NCAA and, you know, 
it's that might not be the way that the life that uh takes you you know so and you know what again like that that almost goes back to like how, how we were talking earlier like it's it really is two totally different games in college and in pro ball like right. in college they're like not striking out c12 pitches and ground out to the shortstop like that's almost like a way to go great job right where like in pro ball they'd rather you not miss the second pitch that you had they, like they want you to drive a double or a home run on um where they're like oh yeah like it's a ground out like it's not seen as like a big team at bat it's like oh you didn't you know hit a double or a home run there there's a knock against you right um, so yeah it it, it, it that kind of goes back to like that whole totally different game like i think of uh tyler johnson again the kid that was our ace at stony brook he was like a low arm slot 84 86 with just massive two seam run and he would just go out and put up like eight innings nine innings of like one run three hits nothing like sexy but it was like he'd strike out one guy in a game and we'd win every time he pitched and then like you get into the minor leagues and it's like oh he's only 84 to 86 like all right next right right it's when you just, don't have that velo, it's, you know, not as important. So, right. I think it's a big misconception too, but anyways, yeah, I mean, so it was cool having you on. It was fun talking. We had a good, you know, long uh, podcast. That was yep. pretty cool. So thank you for, uh, for sharing all that stuff. It's all good behind the scenes stuff. And especially like, for you to kind of go back and talk about it all. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. That was fun. Yeah. Coming sure. on. Appreciate it. Awesome. Yep. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Have a good one.